Welcome to Next Best Theater. I'm your temporary host, Cody Derricks, and joining me today, we have Michael. You can call me Michael or Guido Contini, whatever you choose. He is famously Italian, Michael Schwartz. And Dan. Joining in my own unusual way. Thank you so much. And if you haven't guessed it, we're talking about the 1982 Maury musical, Nine. So, if you haven't seen it or haven't listened to it, I would recommend listening to it before you listen to this podcast or watch the movie if you want, but um, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. (laughs) Anyway, Nine tells the story of Guido Contini, an Italian filmmaker who has just hit or is about to hit 40 and is having a little bit of a hard time with that big number. And throughout the show, it's a very... um, vignette-based and memory-based. It kind of goes through the various women who have had an impact on him in his life as he tries to piece together the plot of a new movie he's trying to make. So it opened on Broadway originally in the 80s, and then there was a revival in the 2000s with Antonio Banderas, and then famously or infamously in (laughs) 2009, there was a Rob Marshall musical adaptation movie. So um, let's go around and talk about everybody's just... Uh, history with the musical or the movie, whichever one came first. Uh, let's start with Dan. Uh, so my first encounter with Nine was the 2003 Broadway revival. And I will just, I, I was very excited about seeing it because it was a cast of stars. You know, it was Antonio Banderas and Jane Krakowski, Mary Stuart Masterson, Cheetah Rivera, Mary Beth Peel, Laura Benanti, although at that time, no one knew who she was. (laughs) Um, And I, I was very, very excited to see it. And let me tell you, you have not lived until you have seen Jane Krakowski do a call from the Vatican oh, so in the revival the of Nine. So you saw it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so yeah. Honest. Oh, my God. Um, but if I'm being honest, Jane is the only thing that I remember from that experience. Um, I had a later um encounter with it a few years back when a couple of friends of mine were in a local production of it. And of course I saw the movie. Um, it is not one of my favorite musicals, but I think it's very interesting. <laughs> and that sounds like a loaded word there. Dave. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say until we get more into it. Um, for, for the people who happened upon this because they just love next best picture so much, we should probably say that this is indeed a musical adaptation of Federico Fellini's movie eight and a half. Yes, correct. Um, and I think that's 
where it's most interesting to me. Oh, I just also wanted to quickly mention. So this is a musical that um, the stage production, the (laughs) cast is comprised of one man playing Guido and then about probably two dozen women. Mm -hmm. And that's it. There's a boy playing young Guido, but otherwise it is a 98% female cast. And as you may have noticed, this is a 100% male podcast today. Uh, Just wanted to make note that we did, you know, with the holidays and stuff, we tried to have our co-hosts, Nicole and Beatrice, on here. But through just various circumstances, it wasn't possible, unfortunately. Um, But (laughs) we are aware of that irony. Yes, the irony is not lost (laughs) on us. Uh, No, we're trying to do justice to the musical as best we can, but just know that there are probably... Much more, I don't want to even say informed, but just, you know, varying opinions around this musical and different thoughts to be had. And we are not the end-all be-all here. As comes with different perspectives in life inherently and experience-wise, of course. Indeed. Um, But we will do our very best. Um, Michael, how about you? Yeah, so I have a really interesting history with Nine that is very different than I'm sure yours and Dan's uh, experiences. And that is that I first became aware of Nine as a property with the film that came out in 2009. And I spent a good portion of that year highly anticipating this movie, and for good reason, because this was the second year that I had been involved in the Oscar race and following awards season. And right after the 2008 season ended, I hear that there's this new movie from the director of Chicago from the Weinstein (laughs) Company, which is at the height of its power back then. And it stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Marion Cotillard, Penelope Cruz, Kate Hudson, Judi Dench, Fergie apparently is in it, like all these big mm-hmm. names. And like, oh my goodness, and it's this movie musical, and it's supposed to be this br- big, fancy Broadway property. I don't even know anything about Fellini. I had never really heard of him as a eighth grader at the time. You know, I just hear this thing, and it's checking off all these boxes in my mind. Chicago was my favorite movie in middle school. And I'm like, okay, well, I just really want to see what this movie is. So I remember seeing that first trailer, the teaser trailer in May of that year. And spending all summer just thinking, oh my god, nine, nine, nine. This sounds really interesting. But the one thing I didn't do waiting for the movie was listen to the cast album or read up on the show. I just kept reading everything I possibly could about the movie, building up all this excitement. Why did you not seek out the show out of curiosity? It just never even crossed my mind. You know, I knew it was a thing, but I just wasn't as into Broadway back then. Like, I liked movie musicals, but I wasn't a huge Broadway fanatic in middle school. So it just, like, wasn't really anything that crossed my mind to do. I was just thinking about this upcoming movie. So you were practically the ideal viewer, I'm sure, according (laughs) to the Weinstein Absolutely. I didn't have loyalty to Fellini. I didn't have loyalty to the Broadway musical. I just wanted to see this new Weinstein Company, Rob Marshall musical with all these stars, especially Daniel Day-Lewis, who I was a big fan of and continue to be a fan of. Hmm. So seeing this movie, I know we're going to talk more about the movie itself later, but I went to Mm -hmm. this big public uh, pre-screening about three weeks before it opened in theaters. And the response was just raptures through the roof, standing ovation at the end. People just ate it up. And it was a crowd of people, I think, like me, who had never really heard of the musical, knew the Fellini films, just wanted to see what this latest star set of musical was. And I loved it. I saw it three times in theaters that year and dozens of times probably since then at home. And, you know, I was just obsessed with this movie for a good year. And it was that movie that then, in years after, led me to discover the musical and realize how different the musical is. Because the movie is only a good, I would say, maybe 65-70% of what the actual musical is. Oh man, That's being generous. Yeah, so they are just two totally different things. 
And as the musical itself, I think it's terrific in its own way. I have things that I love about both, and I really look forward to breaking them down in this podcast. Yeah, great. So my personal history, I uh, in high school, I was trying to gobble up as many musicals as possible in my effort to be extremely informed in the art form. And I came across nine, you know, just in my journey through that library. And I almost immediately fell in love with it. Mm. Um, the music, the score itself by Maury Yeston is the thing that grabbed me first and really made me enjoy it on repeat and repeat and repeat listenings. <laughs> but the more I listened to it, and I eventually did see a live production of it. I saw it at uh, a community theater in North New Jersey, <laughs> the ideal setting for nine. And... Um, even in that small production, the themes and just the general artistic flourishes of the musical really, really caught my attention. I, I think it's a very smart musical, whether you agree with everything it's saying or trying to say or not. And I think mm -hmm. the score is hyper intelligent <laughs> without being elitist. I mean, it's a huge variety of styles. You know, you've got sexy burlesque with Carla and you've got just general kind of classically influenced musical theater throughout. There's Tarantella for the Italian stuff. And then there's a practically 15 minute mini operetta at the end. There's really something for, I don't want to say everybody because that's not <laughs> all musical styles, <laughs> but there's something to grab onto for most listeners, I think in the score. Um, and I've just loved it ever since I too was very excited for the movie. Um, it was probably my most anticipated movie of that year. I loved Chicago, mm -hmm. obviously. It's still probably yeah. in the top 10 of all time. And, you know, Rob Marshall and the teaser looked amazing. And the, yes. the, the cast, I mean. There still has not been, like, a, a cast that amazing. I was just going to like... Widows might be the closest <laughs> I felt looking at an IMDb cast list yeah. with just awe since nine. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm. And it's not just so, the like, cast just, of the movie. Uh -huh. It was... Produced by Sidney Pollack and written by yep. Anthony Minghella, both of whom died before the movie was released. Mm. And a screenplay also by Michael yeah. Tolkien. Uh, just a who's who of Hollywood talent involved in this movie. And the entire or the majority of the production team of Chicago, which obviously looks incredible. And, you know, most of the cast has several, you know, gold men at their houses. It was like, you know, yeah. how could you not be excited? We were not for wrong this? for saying, like, this looked like a Best Picture frontrunner earlier oh, in the year. Oh, my God, no. No, of course not. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, we'll talk about later our impressions, but uh, I think I lean more in the Dan category than the Michael category, <laughs> but that's okay. Many people do. Yes. <laughs> we'll, 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 we will get there. So I think I want to run through the, like, quickly run through the song list and um, just pop out any highlights and see what we feel about just the score in general. Because, again, I think the score really is the the star of this musical. The, the book is well enough, but the, the score is really just on another level, I think. So it starts with Overture della Donna, which is a really interesting, it's not instrumental and it's not a cappella, but it's a really heavily vocal human orchestra almost. Yeah, it, it's the most unique overture I think I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a lot of la-la-la-ing. Right. And, you know, like an orchestra, it goes through the various themes of the musical and the songs you're about to hear, but it's mm -hmm. all all or mostly sung by the women of the cast. And Guido is conducting it, I believe, in the production. And it's really just kind of an introduction to the, the, the idea that these women are going to be... And this is where it gets tricky. <laughs> there for Guido, <laughs> helping Guido, just present in Guido's life. Telling the story. 
Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so then we go on. Let's see some more highlights. Uh, Guido Song is the first uh, solo number from the leading character. He kind of establishes himself in the audience's eyes. It's a it's the a big I, I want, I want song. song. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he's saying I want over and over again. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the first um, big moment of kind of female agency, if that makes sense, is My Husband Makes Movies, yep. which is sung by his wife, Louisa. What do you guys think of the character of Louisa? You know, Louisa has a much bigger role in the show than she does in the movie. Absolutely. And it's really interesting since they tried to campaign Marion Cotillard lead for the movie, even though it's not really this lead role compared to what you see in the show. She has much more agency as a character, I think, and a lot of Guido's emotion falls on her and her performance. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the lead categorization at the, in the movie, I think is pure Harvey, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, she's much more of a presence in the musical and you feel like there are less stakes in her character. You know, you see that it's a failing marriage and Guido's not putting anything into this marriage. He's focusing on this movie that he's trying to uh, get off the ground. Right. It's failing, but at the same time, he has this weird sort of, I don't want to say loyalty, but it feels like he feels beholden to stay with her. He doesn't want to hurt her, but this yeah. is not at the point where it could be. Yeah, it's important to note that Guido is infamously non-monogamous throughout the entire show. Yeah. I would say half of the women in the show are people are women he's either had a fling with or is currently having a fling with. He's not loyal to Louisa. And which that's interesting because th- that is one of the reasons why Louisa is to me the true heart of this sh- of this musical. Mm-hmm. She is the character that every time I've seen it in whatever form I've seen it in that I sympathize with most because Guido is God, he's such a man. <laughs> I, he he only looks inside at himself and his art and what he's doing and how what everyone else is doing is affecting what he's doing what, and what he wants to do. And I you just want to like slap him so many times and say, like, look what you have here. Look at this woman who is trying so hard to stay with you. <laughs> right. It is interesting that. I mean, as the lead character, you have to inspire the audience's sympathy to a degree, I think, mm-hmm. or at least usually the 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 show wants you to do that. And yeah. it's kind of hard in this one. <laughs> it is. And that's actually one of the reasons why I do greatly admire what Maury Esten was able to do with this show, because it's hard to make a musical starring an antihero. <laughs> sure. Exactly. And he, I think this is probably the best example of that. Not that there are very many, but this is by far, I think, the most um, successful version of that. Yeah, I mean, it. it's a musical that asks you to look into a man who, on paper, you wouldn't like. He's yeah. terrible to his wife. He's terrible not just to his wife, mm-hmm. but to most of the women he interacts with. Um, his his current mistress, Carla, later in the mm. show, he completely dismisses her when given the opportunity to be with her because she's getting a divorce. So mm-hmm. he he has no loyalty to any of these women except for maybe his mother, and even that is tested. <laughs> yeah. But I think that just makes what we see at the end all the all the more stronger. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. You, know, you have to really beat him down and see him at his lowest point and really 
you know, I don't want to say hate him because who wants to watch a two-hour show where you hate the protagonist, but you really have to, you know, see the rough side of this guy to really appreciate how it ends for him. Right. I, I think it's a musical that challenges the audience in terms of why we are watching this specific man. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also an exploration of how somebody can get to this point because yeah. people like this do exist. You know, they do. We don't. We they don't, definitely we're not happy do. About it. We read stories about them every day. <laughs> right. It's interesting to see how they got there. As I was listening to this album, you know, just reassociating myself with the musical, I thought to myself, well, right now we have in London this production of Company that's all gender swapped. What would it be like in 2018 or soon to be 2019 to have like a gender swapped version of Nine where you have this female director and like the male influences in her life. And I don't think it would work the same way. I think it's like an I, interesting I, idea I on paper, but no. I think this has to be this like self-centered man who has all these issues in his life and the female influences. I think that is the only way this material could work. I agree. I think it has to be a musical about a man mm-hmm. exerting his inherent gender power over women, whether that was intentional by the creators or not, yeah. it's, you know, apparent throughout all of society. I think to flip it would kind of lose that commentary in a way. Yeah. And we should say, this is a show, you know, with book music and lyrics all by men. So, yep. And the original was directed by a man. So was the revival. And so was the movie. Yeah. Something to think about. It's also worth noting, I mean, at least for me, My Husband Makes Movies is the first song in the show that I actually fully like. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I, I love it. I am not a huge, like, the overture is interesting. It's not something that I particularly enjoy listening to, but it's very, it sets the tone really well. But I don't like any of the songs really that follow until my husband makes movies. See, I like Guido's song, but I think uh, Germans at the Spa goes on way too long and feels out of place. <laughs> that is a skipper if I ever yeah. saw it. And Not Since Charlie Chaplin has an interesting melody, but it's not anything I'm going to put on a playlist. Like, Not Since Chaplin is fine. Guido's song is just, like... Ugh. I think it's fine. It's I, I hate Guido's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but I think you can hate somebody and still enjoy a musical about that. Does that yeah, make sense? I, yes. And be, because I, for the most part, do it in like this, this sure. show. So, yeah. But I don't think, I, th- I don't think he starts off very well. <laughs> My husband <Fair>. makes movies <laughs> is just, you know, it comes early in this, in the Broadway production, but in the middle of the movie. But I think no matter the placement, just the way it's delivered, it's such a beautiful song mm-hmm. and really heartbreaking when you see Louisa and how hard she's trying and what she's getting in return. Especially because she has a line about she once wanted to be an actress and have dreams of her own. Yeah. And she's yeah. put those aside for this man who mm-hmm. has not had to put aside his dreams or it just because he's trying to be fidelious in a marriage, even though he's really not. So he gets to have his dreams and his sexual conquests. You get a sense time. of that in the movie where it's, the song sort of stops for a minute and you get a flashback to Louisa filming a screen test for Guido. She's going to audition for one of his films, and you see the connection that they have at that point. He like goes up to her, has her put down her hair, you know, wipes her forehead. You she could see that there's like a bond between the two of them, and then you get back to reality and see how far they've mm-hmm. you know fallen from that. And I think that was right. a really powerful choice in Rob Marshall's filmmaking there 
to sort of show us, okay, we have the line, but let's actually see what happens now. And it would be so easy for these male creators to simply write Louisa as a classic, like, nagging wife. Yeah. You know? No, you sympathize but with her throughout you the movie sympathize and with in the her. show. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of the full episode of the Review of Nine here on the Next Best Theater podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also newly on Spotify under the Next Best Picture banner. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. And also, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive content, this episode included, from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.